Hello and welcome to the Pilgrim Way. My name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches in Scotland. The aim of this, these signposts is to try and help to connect the text of the Bible with our everyday lives. It is the season of Advent, so I just want to reflect on uh, some of the, the Bible stories around that. And today I want to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, there's little doubt that when it comes to art, one of the most popular subjects in the history of art is Jesus Christ. And although almost every scene from the Gospels is depicted in art in one way or another, the main focus for artists tends to be on the, the birth stories of Jesus or the crucifixion. <coughs> Excuse me. The painting I'd like to consider today deals with one of the earliest moments in the birth stories of Jesus. And although it's easily passed over, it's a moment that is crucial to the whole story. The Annunciation, the announcement to Mary by the angel Gabriel that God had chosen her to give birth to a saviour, to the saviour, sets the entire scene, making it clear that the events that are about to unfold are both a human and a divine drama, but one in which the script is being written by God. It's a scene that's been painted many times before, even by some of the greatest artists in history. Uh, for example, this one is by Caravaggio. The story of Jesus continues to be a rich source of material for artists today and the Annunciation is very much still a subject of fascination. Yet most of the paintings of the Annunciation, like this one by William Brassy Hole, tend to have a very kind of unreal uh, quality about them. They always seem to emphasise the, the holiness of Mary, depicting her quietly and devoutly and very calmly accepting Gabriel's announcement of her chosen status as the mother of the saviour of the world. Almost without exception, in fact, Mary seems remarkably calm in these paintings when Gabriel appears before her. It's almost as though visits from angelic beings were something that she experienced regularly. Notice here that the artist hints at her spiritual devotion with the open scroll on the floor. We are meant to think that the angel has interrupted her time of prayer and study of scripture. 
Yet throughout the Bible, the overwhelming human emotion when faced with an angelic being is one of stark terror. In almost every instance, the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. When I read the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus, I'm always struck by the, the human aspect of the story. For it's not just a divine drama playing out in Judea, in Galilee. The announcement from Gabriel and Mary's acceptance of it will have significant impact on the lives of Mary and Joseph and their extended families. It was, after all, a culture that was really dominated by the twin uh, ideas of shame and honour, ideas that remain powerful cultural drivers in those same cultures today. And sadly, even today, fathers have been known to murder their daughters just for being in a relationship with someone from outside their religion or culture, never mind being pregnant before being married. Pregnancy before marriage and indeed single parenthood is fairly co a common thing in modern Western democracies. There's no longer any social shame attached to them, though that was not always the case. In fact, those programmes at Long Lost Family that you see on TV, um, quite often the story is, is of a person, an elderly person, uh, looking for their child that they were forced to give up um, uh, because at the time that they were pregnant and gave birth, um, it was uh, in Britain there was a lot of social shame and stigma attached to being an unmarried mother. But in May's culture it was actually a lot worse than that. She could have been publicly stoned to death and she certainly would have been treated as an outcast in her village. It's long been noted, for example, in the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, that she was probably there on her own at the hottest time of the day to avoid the other women. As a woman who'd had four husbands and was now living with someone who was not her husband, she would have had endured a lot of scorn and derision from her neighbours in her cultural setting. And that was very much the world that Mary lived in. A pregnancy would also have had a big impact on her relationship with Joseph. For whilst Mary was willing to accept God's will in this matter, there was no guarantee that Joseph would. And in fact, Matthew, in his gospel, we learn that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he planned to quietly divorce her because he was a good man and he didn't want her either to be put to public shame. Although most marriages were arranged, he obviously felt something for Mary and didn't want her to come to any harm. The problem was that Mary was pregnant and he knew that he was not the father. And not only was the pregnancy going to end their relationship, but actually Joseph's own reputation might have been badly damaged. People are people. There would always have been a certain amount of doubt of at Joseph's protests of innocence in this matter. And so there's layer upon layer of a very real, very powerful human drama being played out in this story. But the painting I'd like to consider and reflect on today captures some of that drama. It is Henry Oswald Tanner's depiction of the Annunciation. In telling the story, Luke doesn't really give us any real sense of Mary's emotional state in this moment. He just kind of uh, almost dispassionately reports the facts. His focus is on the divine drama that is unfolding. 
but I don't think it's beyond reason for us to assume that she would have been very afraid at the sudden appearance of Gabriel. <coughs> if you Google encounters with angels, you'll find thousands of stories of people's amazing, exciting and joyful encounters with angels. People who have died and gone to heaven and all kinds of things have, have, have apparently been going on. Personally, I'm always puzzled by such stories of people's alleged encounters with angels. The more joyful and amazing and peaceful the experience, the more puzzled I get. Because as we've already noted in scripture, the normal and instant human reaction to such an experience is one of fear and terror. And so, as again, as we've noted, the angelic being almost invariably uh, says, first of all, don't be afraid, as he did to Mary here. And that kind of implies, certainly, that that was her reaction. In Tanner's painting, we see Mary sitting still and compliantly upon her bed. Her fingers are interlaced, her head slightly bowed. And as you might expect, and unlike most depictions so, uh, of the scene, her expression is slightly apprehensive. But there is also wonder in her gaze. A gaze that is directed at and that reflects the blazing light coming from the other end of the room. We don't get to see Gabriel's form. He's quite indistinct as though he was obscured by the brightness of his own presence. And this serves really just to communicate the fact of his other worldliness. Often, though, in great works of art, the most striking things are the small details. In this case, it's the details of the bedclothes all askew. Half on the bed, half on the floor, directing our gaze to the rumpled up rug beside Mary. Together, they suggest us that when Gabriel appeared, Mary recoiled in fear and terror, throwing herself back on the bed, rumpling up the rug in her haste, casting back the covers as if to present a barrier between her and this apparition. We only get hints of the terror she must have felt, for in this scene, that moment has passed. We have moved from stark terror to apprehension with only the rumpled rug and the dishevelled bedclothes to indicate that moment. She sits on the bed, apprehensive, but beginning to compose herself, at least as much as anyone can who has been visited by an angel. Luke tells us that she was greatly troubled. When Gabriel spoke to her, and no wonder, and, and so as is so often the case, the angel must speak those words of comfort and assurance before he commissions her to her extraordinary task. And it must have come as a great relief to her to know that she needn't be afraid because she'd found favour with God. But that relief very quickly gave way, I'm sure, to confusion, and the artist has captured some of that in Mary's expression. It's almost as if she's thinking that the the words that she just can't keep in. How can this be? Her question conveys something of puzzlement and uncertainty, perhaps scepticism to what Gabriel is saying. How could she be pregnant? For just as Joseph knew he was not the father, Mary knew that she was still a virgin. Despite that confusion, she must have known somewhere deep down that all things are possible with God, something that the angel really effectively says to her. I mean, she wasn't picked at random. 
I doubt very much that she was picked because she was the only available woman of age in that particular family line. When Gabriel says that she has found favour with God, we sometimes have this idea that the statement relates only to her forthcoming pregnancy. And I'm sure that is part of it. <coughs> Excuse me. But I think it also relates to Mary's character and her devotion to God. In other words, she has not found favour with God because she's been chosen for this task. Rather, she's been chosen for this task because she's found favour with God. And I think many of us struggle to think that God might be pleased with us, that he might find favour with us enough to choose us for some great work. But actually, he does. In fact, if you think about it, uh, reading through the Bible, God has never worked through anyone other than imperfect people. Read through the Bible, read through church history. And I can't help but think that some of her confusion and doubt stem from, not from a lack of faith in God, but from a firm belief in her own inadequacy for the task. She just can't believe that God would choose her. The Christian music collective Gungor have a song called Beautiful Things that goes, All around hope is springing up from this old ground. Out of chaos life is being found in you. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. God chose a poor, unknown girl from a nowhere town in a Judean backwater in a male-dominated culture with a strict class system, one in which women were at the lower end of that system. God chose such a person to bring salvation into the world. And if God can choose her, then he can and will choose people like you and I. For he can make beautiful things from the dust and chaos of our lives. If we will only surrender our lives to him and pledge our allegiance to him as our king. Although it's past now, the traditional theme for the first Sunday of Advent is the theme of hope. The story of the birth of Jesus is the story of the fulfilment of the hopes of a nation, if not humanity. However, hope is a paradox. It is at once a powerful force and at the same time a very fragile thing. I occasionally <clears throat> forget that all Star Wars movies are the same and I, and I watch one. Um, but recently I, I watched Rogue One from that franchise. And the female lead, the hero of the story, tries to get the rebel alliance to attack the Empire. But they won't do it because there's little hope of success as they are both outnumbered and outgunned. And she responds to them, to their reluctance, by saying that rebellions are built on hope. Hope of a better world can start a rebellion. It can change the course of a person's life or the life of a nation or all of history can be changed by hope. And yet hope is fragile. It can be snuffed out or crushed in a second. Hope can be lost. The hope of Israel, the hope of the nations, was that a Messiah would come to redeem us and restore us to our true humanity in God. 
thousands of years of hope and longing and waiting and it all comes down now to this moment to a young woman sitting on her bed confronted by an angel and his strange message that she will be the mother of God that she will give birth to the hope of the nations to the hope of Israel the apprehension on Mary's face in this picture has not yet given way to peaceful acceptance she has given no answer as yet the artist has painted the scene as a moment of liminality, what our Celtic ancestors would have called a time between times. That is to say, it, it, this is a threshold moment. It is neither yet one thing or the other. It is the space between what was and what will be. Although Gabriel's statement comes across as a declaration, God never forces anyone to fulfil his will. And so there is a sense in this statement uh, that there is a questioning invitation to Mary. Mary, this is what God wants to do through you. Now, what do you say, Mary? Do you agree? Will you join God in this work? Mary, are you willing to risk social shame and isolation that my glory might be revealed? Will you be the conduit through whom the Saviour comes into the world? The hope of the nation, so powerful, so yet so fragile, waits on the answer of a young girl from a no-account town like Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? I wonder if Gabriel and all the angels held their breath in that moment. That moment, a pregnant pause if you like, captured by the artist, inviting us to enter into the story, to take a deep breath and wait and hope. In these liminal moments, these threshold moments that are the most difficult for us to bear, we all want God to do something, but we would much prefer it if he would do things the way that we think is best, and ideally if he would do something according to our timetable. Waiting is the hard part. We want to rush on ahead of God. We want something to happen. We don't want to wait, holding our breath and hoping, and yet we must. And when the time comes, and come it will, God will still not force his will upon us, but will invite us to join him in what he is doing, just as he did with Mary. The artist captured that moment, that time between the times, when all of heaven held its breath, hoping. But we know the story. We know that Mary surrendered her life to God, knowing full well the social difficulties it would create for her. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May you and I be as willing, however apprehensively, to say the same when God calls us to join him in his task, in his work in the world. Thanks for listening.